the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Thursday, December 30th, 2021. 602 is the number. As we close the year and look to January, I thought I would bookend uh, this monologue, as I often do daily on the show, tying its end to its beginning. So I want to bookend this monologue with this year. I started this year with uh, with what I'm about to read you as my first monologue of the year. And I thought it would be interesting to see how we did or where it takes us. I said on my first broadcast in January of 2021 that this year can be a year of many different things. Resistance, a great accounting on governmental health and police actions, more governmental health and police actions, something we don't know about or see yet, something with another country militarily terrorism, a testing of a new administration. If I had a wish, though, it would be at least for us something that helps address all of those things and anything else that might come up, which is a great relearning, to use Tom Wolfe's phrase, about conservatism. I'm in part put to mind on this from one caller uh, in uh, 2020 asking that we walk ourselves through what conservatism is and what it teaches. And we will do that, because if it's a worldview, as we tell ourselves, there should be nothing under the sun that arises that conservatism as a political philosophy cannot address. I know there are a lot of traditions in the movement, from the libertarian to the religious to that which we take from the English or the British. I've always stood proudly with the Claremont Institute and in thinking there is something unique about two things, A, our founding, and B, our conservatism, American conservatism. For decades and longer, a great many conservatives here looked to people like Edmund Burke of Great Britain or others from European, other European places like, think, Frederick Hayek, for example. But what of us? If we invoke the likes of Madison and Jefferson and Lincoln, mightn't it also be not just because they were presidents, but because they were great teachers and articulators of conservatism? And if so, what is it they taught? I start with a very old essay from one of my teachers, Charles Kessler. Charles was in the graduating class of Harvard in 1978 and wrote this. It was surely the most compelling speech of the past decade when Alexander Solzhenitsyn declared that the United States had lost its civic courage. Another way of saying this would be that America has lost the courage of its convictions. But it is impossible to lose what we do not possess. And the real crisis of our time is the loss of confidence in what Americans and America's convictions or principles are. It should hardly come as a surprise that we find it difficult to decide what the U.S. ought to do in the world, since we cannot know what we want or need until we know what or who 
we are. Kessler wrote this 40 years ago, but went on. American conservatism is in the same boat. Conservatism presupposes that there is something worth conserving. But we can hardly know what to conserve without knowing what America is and what it stands for. To be sure, no one can justly accuse conservatism of having lived an unexamined life over the last several generations. But a political movement cannot form itself around a Socratic declaration of ignorance, however ironic. A political movement cannot philosophize, but dissent, a decent one does need a philosophy. In his great book on the ancient regime, Alexis de Tocqueville observes that it is altogether understandable for a badly governed nation to desire to govern itself instead. But a desire for independence of this kind, stemming as it does from a specific removable cause, is bound to be short-lived. Once the circumstances giving rise to it have passed away, it languishes. And what at first sight seemed a genuine love of liberty proves time and again to have been merely the hatred of a tyrant. American conservatism sometimes resembles that false love of liberty, its self-examinations concluding in nothing more lasting or noble than ad hoc reactions to liberalism and leftism. Think the New Deal and the Great Society and all that came from those programs. But this sort of poking around in the detritus of liberal social programs in the manner of uncovering Troy proves nothing except that manifest follies should be avoided. Historical sentimentalism in the face of the great changes wrought in American society since the New Deal will not provide conservatism with the meaning it is seeking, nor will root and branch libertarianism, which in its own way is also a reaction to the New Deal and the Great Society. What conservatism needs is an understanding of our political tradition that will free it from reaction and open it to action. Action for the sake of the genuine love of liberty as expressed in the principles of that tradition. What this understanding would mean is that conservatives would choose those principles again if they had the chance. In other words, Conservatism's commitment to the past makes political sense only to the extent that it implies a commitment to the future. Conservatism, rightly understood, is less a commitment to the past than a commitment to a certain set of truths applicable to the past, present, and future. Charles Kessler would go on to speak of an American, a uniquely American understanding and contribution to conservatism. Thus, if we are to preserve America as conservatives, we ought to know what it is about America and Americanism we are to preserve. And for that, we obviously must go to our founding. The Declaration and the Constitution each embody, in some sense, the principles of our revolution, but we need to make the relationship between them more clear, which is the higher expression of those principles, and hence of government and way of life that the revolution established. Let us look at Abraham Lincoln's reflection on the relationship of the Declaration to the Constitution. It took the form of a medita meditation on Proverbs 25. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. To Lincoln, the word fitly spoken was the assertion of principle in the Declaration of Independence. The pictures of silver, the frames, were the Union and Constitution subsequently put around it. 
The picture was made not to conceal or destroy. The frame was made not to conceal or destroy the apple, but to adorn and preserve it, said Lincoln. Lincoln's task, of course, was to preside over the dissolution and reconstitution of the Union and in so doing to affirm that a nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal could, in fact, long endure. Harry Jaffa points out that however admirable the character of the American Constitution, it was not the most admirable expression of this regime. The Constitution is the highest American thing only if one tries to understand the high in light of the low. It is high because men are not angels and because we do not have angels to govern us. But the Constitution, in deference to man's non-angelic nature, made certain compromises with slavery. And partly because of those compromises, it dissolved in the presence of a great crisis. Now, let me pause to say or suggest that since issues of race and slavery are so much a part of the cause of modern day politics and culture, perhaps it's worth thinking about our surrender, conservative surrender to our own principles and founding that created the vacuum in which these issues would divide us yet again. The man who united the Declaration and the Constitution to reify our commitment to our founding and its principles rightly understood was, of course, Abraham Lincoln, who led us to a new birth of freedom based upon his noble understanding of the Declaration's principles. A new birth of freedom that ended a great deal of misunderstanding about the role of nature, the human being, equality, and freedom. Lincoln led America through a new birth of freedom through a spiritual rebirth because the first birth, the founding, had been defective. Not nearly because of the Constitution's compromises with slavery, but because of what those compromises represented. To Lincoln, slavery was the preeminent expression of human selfishness, of the evil to which men's passions could leave them. Constitutional compromises with slavery, however necessary, meant that American government had not been established on an entirely proper understanding of the relationship between passion and reason, which is not to say that the founders' handiwork was erroneous, only that it was insufficient or incomplete. The people had been taught, Jefferson taught them, to assert their rights, but they had not yet learned to respect what it was that they had asserted. Lincoln's effort to form public opinion on true Republican principles, the reconciliation of rights and passions, can be summed up in one of his famous epigrams, as I would not be a slave, so I would not be a master. This expresses my idea of democracy. Whatever differs from this to the extent of the difference is not democracy. To be free requires that men know and respect what it is that makes them free. This, of course, gets us to the issue of equality, sometimes causing an allergic reaction in conservative circles. But the allergy is based on a faulty understanding of equality, at least as our founders understood it. Equality, it must be remembered, is not equality of condition, of virtue, of knowledge, strength, good looks, or anything else so unnatural, but rather equality of natural rights, of the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. In this sense, equality is the same as liberty, inasmuch as men have a right to liberty only because they are born equal, that is, born without natural superiors. 
No man, Lincoln said, is good enough to govern another man without that other man's consent. As Harry Jaffa likes to put it, liberty and equality are as inseparable as the concavity and convexity of a curved surface, or as I like to say, as inseparable as the up-and-down nature of a single staircase. Who defends liberty must therefore defend equality. This is, I think, the whole cloth we American conservatives must start with in teaching, promoting, and understanding conservatism. Conservatives who understand this will see a conservatism that lies between the extremes of libertarianism and traditionalism. What is extreme about libertarianism is the insistence that freedom is the solution to all the problems of human life. If only the government would get out of the way, problems would solve themselves via human freedom. But freedom is a matter of choice, and a people must choose well in order to establish and preserve it. But no people can choose well who do not understand their ability to choose and what gives them the rights of that freedom to choose, which is their innate human nature and all that comes with and is implied by it. On the other end of the extreme is traditionalism, which is essentially reverence for the past. The danger here is that it is unreasonable and unprincipled. It does not acknowledge any objective standards by which we may be able to distinguish just from unjust, good from bad, true from false. Thus, an American conservatism, rightly understood, must point to a politics that prizes virtue more highly than does libertarianism and reason more highly than it does traditionalism. In short, my code, handy elevator pitch for what conservatism is, is an economics of liberty wedded to a sociology of virtue. Understanding that is step one. Next year, in 22, let's take step two. Meanwhile, we have a lot to save here. Let's get to it. 602-508-0960. Be right back. I don't know if we're ending the year policy-wise where we started it. Uh, I think a lot of people, maybe not in this audience, um, but I think a lot of people had pinned a lot of hopes on the change of the administration doing what it said it was going to do um, repeatedly, which was stop the virus, put an end to the virus, not stop the economy, stop the virus. That's how Joe Biden constructed it. During the campaign, that's how he spoke of it while he was president-elect. That's how he spoke of it in his inauguration. And so I think there were a lot of high hopes that all it would take was decency and competence because what Donald Trump represented was, of course, indecency and incompetence. And so we end the year as perhaps anyone who can see the addition of one plus one equaling two, anyone who has the courage to see things as they really are, we end the year seeing things all of us do as conservatives, in a sense, even those who don't want to admit it, so long as they can see the facts of the case, which is this. 
the idea of the entire idea behind progressivism is that we can be managed as a society by an elite who are not just smarter than the hoi polloi, but better than the hoi polloi. If you just had enough competent managers, then of course there would be no problems arising and no problems that couldn't be solved. Conservatives um, reject and have rejected this massive notion, this major notion within the progressive movement because we know um, a couple of things that involved man's fallibility, man's inability to be angelic or angels, and that there is something still active and alive in this world that, though the left doesn't like the word, we conservatives should never shrink from what Michael Yulman called the N-word of our times, nature. Nature. And the hubristic notion that humans can stop nature is part and parcel of the progressive enterprise. So it turns out at the end of the year, there were in fact more COVID cases and more COVID deaths under Joe Biden than Donald Trump. Not in a vacuum do I say that. It's a very, very important vacuum to understand because it wasn't as if they both are taking the same SAT test and getting certain answers right and certain answers wrong. It's not as if you have two people, Joe Biden and Donald Trump and their obvious uh, administration uh, officials uh, behind them, starting at the same uh, line and competing in the same race. They weren't. Joe Biden started at a much further advanced line, much further. How much further? A year further. He had a year of COVID intelligence and experience, as we all did, behind him when he took office. And if that wasn't enough of a jump start, he had another really big jump start that added even a further advance to his starting point, which wasn't just a year's worth of experience, but a vaccine. He had a year's worth of knowledge, so much so we don't call it the novel coronavirus anymore, novel being new. It's not new. It's now been with us going on two years, one year under Trump, one year under Biden. And additionally, Joe Biden had the vaccine and yet more cases and yet more deaths. So in a sense, one has to, while lamenting all of this, because no one wants anyone sick or dead, Obviously, obviously, one has to, in a certain sense, admit that there are certain not only limits to politics, but that there are certain limits to the promises of the progressive in vacuums that they try to create that don't exist, all the while operating in the vacuum we know truly does exist. The year has to be considered a failure. A failure of public policy, it has to be considered such. And the only person who we have to hang that failure on has to be Joe Biden, because he set the expectation that it wouldn't be a failure, that it would be a success, that he would do better, that he would 
end the virus. And we go into this new year so much worse off and so much more confused. We'll get into this more in a few moments. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. Anything you want to call in on, love to know if you have an interesting resolution for the new year or uh, also what you think the biggest story of the year is or should have been. Uh, but anything is fine, and Rick is in Phoenix. Hello, Rick. Hello, Seth, man. How You're are you? are saving the world. Well, <laughs> maybe, we're, maybe together we can... Uh, we can help save the world. Yes, a yeah. little bit at a time. A little bit at a Seth, time. Seth, I gotta tell you, man, that was just a fantastic monologue. Thank I you. cannot think of a better way to close out the year. I, I think that monologue is right up there with the the criterion of human events and right up there with the Sharon statement. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, I'm wow. serious. Thank I you. I counted a dozen diamonds in that monologue. Oh, well, thank you very much, Rick. Thank I mean, you. I mean, seriously, things that we have to examine, cling to, hold on to, and develop. Well, thank you, sir. So thank you, Seth, oh. for a terrific year on your part. Thanks. And I'm looking forward to a great 2022. Well, we have a lot of work to do, don't we? Uh, And it includes what? What first and foremost? Not resting uh, on the laurels of Democratic Party failure. That that's that that that. Do you worry about that? I worry about that. Yeah, yeah, I worry that we think, oh well, it'll naturally be a wave election because the Democrats are doing so poorly. I don't. That is not the way to go here. Yeah. yeah, we get lulled into complacency because it looks like uh, looks like we're winning when, in fact, we've got a long ways to go. I think that's right. I mean, I, I that is right. And 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 here's one way I think to help get us there. I don't know if you'll agree or not, or add to it or not. But you know, one thing we do have the actual opportunity to do, and we will be inundated very soon with a lot of political ads, is take yeah. these primaries very seriously as Republicans. Take yeah. them very seriously. Do not end up in November saying, how did we end up with this boop because you didn't want to get involved in a primary. Get involved in a primary. And when you get involved, do your homework. Do your research. You know, take yeah. the candidate as seriously as the candidate takes himself or herself. Yeah. And 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 know what you are giving your most valuable asset to. What is that most valuable asset? Of course, your vote, your support. Yeah. You're yeah. saying, I am trusting you to represent me. That's an important thing. Yes. And yes. we Very- as a party way too often and way um, way too, uh, way too commonly, just kind of don't get involved and pay attention to the primaries. We might listen to the most well-spoken person. We might be attracted to the most uh, presidential or congressional or senatorial-looking person. Uh, we may be um, uh, 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 enamored with the best, flashiest, most, uh, uh, most advanced or technologically interesting ads. The most important thing is the least sexy thing. What's the yeah. underlying philosophy? What's the underlying history? 
and we really need to do our homework. I don't want us to end up in a situation where we say, how did we get that person? Yes, yes. Very, very valuable exhortation, Seth. Very valuable. I am very thankful that so far the ads that have been on TV, uh, I just get antenna TV, but the ads that I've seen on TV, either by the Democrats or by uh, leftists or you know, Democrats have accomplished one purpose for me, and that is making me mad as yeah. H-E double. Yeah. Well, it's shit. a proper noun. Buckley was once asked by William Shawn of The New Yorker when he submitted an essay, why do you capitalize the word hell? And Buckley said, because it's a place. Yes, that's right. <laughs> let me do this. Let me take let me take a quick commercial break. You haven't even gotten to your main point, I don't think yet. But okay. let me let me take a quick commercial break and uh, come back so you can do that. Inviting others to do the same. You warmed my heart. I didn't know this about you. It's funny. You you know you have these friendships uh, and uh, you learn piecemeal some things about people. I didn't know this about you that you have antenna TV. That's something I was reinstructed on this year. I didn't know that people could have antenna TV. I set one up. Um, I'm getting a nod from my producer thinking I might be in the midst of more than one person. Now there's three of us with antenna TV, Rick, <laughs> Bill, uh, me. I didn't know. I looked into it. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. A lot more households do it than you think. If you uh, don't like the uh, the cable companies or the satellite companies and the money they charge and the fare they offer... I thought we had no choice. You have a choice. The old antenna works just fine. We'll be right back. It works better than it used to. We'll be right back. I had a small personal victory yesterday. I was talking to a uh, 40-something, and this person brought up the fact of um, well, that they have been listening to some older music. They've been getting into well, you might say some of the stuff that we play on this show in our bumper. And this person said, and Sinatra, my God, I haven't heard a bad Sinatra song yet. Thank you. <laughs> That's what I'm trying. There's a reason these people were as uh, big as, um, as they were in their time. And uh, there's a reason that they last and that people are still writing books about them and documentaries about them. Anyway, uh, Rick in Phoenix. Uh, thank you, Rick, for your patience. Uh, we were talking You're about a few different welcome. things, and I, 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 we, you know, I don't think we got to your main point. A- amen on Sinatra. Yeah, 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 right? <laughs> and, and a lot of the bumper music you play. Thank but you. Yeah, my, my, uh, I guess my main point, uh, Seth, was uh, at the, toward, toward the end or at the end of your monologue, you gave a uh, summary of your uh, monologue. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna have to go back and listen to that. I want to write all that down uh, because I believe that was a stroke of genius, brother. Wow. I mean, really, seriously, very, very. <laughs> I'm glad well I kept said. you on. <laughs> I'm glad I kept you on. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm teasing, but thank you. No, no, much. no. I yeah, I'm serious. I'm glad you kept me on too. <laughs> well, it's an interesting thing because um, the word equality that we focus on so much, we Lincoln uh, aficionados, fans, you know, uh, we Lincoln conservatives. 
focus on, particularly at the Claremont Institute. It's a word that for many years did not find favor in much of the conservative movement. Um, Uh Liberty, of course, but, you know, we see them as the twin pillars of our founding, equality and liberty. You can't have one without the other. Liberty without equality uh, is is effectively no law at all except the law of the majority or the law of the strongest. It's basically Thrasymachus uh, yeah. in, uh, in Plato's Republic. Um, equality, however, without liberty is nothing more than what the left has, has created of itself and, in fact, changed the word to equity. Um, yeah. it's, 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 it's equality in the sense that, uh, that uh, Harrison Bergeron and Kurt Vonnegut teach us about, that we all have to be equal in our, most, uh, in our most routine respects and not in our natural rights. We have a claim yeah. to natural rights um, based on our equality as human beings. We're a little higher than animals and a little lower than angels. Uh-huh. And the moment we forget that's what we're equal in. That's where our equality is. The moment we forget that, we're lost. We're lost because people will treat other people like humans treat animals. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, boy, Seth, I just, your your monologue was so pregnant. I mean, it has a year's (laughs) worth of material. I am not kidding you, brother. And like our brother... uh, uh, Larry Elder says, you know, we've got a country to save. Yeah. And that is our motivation. I mean, we want, we know that these principles work. We know that they are the founding principles of our, of our country. And we want to restore those and return those so that we can continue to be a great nation that is a great light to the world, a, a shining city on a hill. I'm, I'm, I'm with you on all of that. And I love Larry. Yeah. And uh, the only thing I would suggest, and you'd and he'd probably agree with it, is not a country to save, but the country or this country. Yes. And we yes. all agree, we we all agree on that. But the only reason I'm not being pedantic about it, the only reason I mention it is um, is 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 that the left doesn't understand that. Yes, they yes, don't think right. that there is something special here worth saving. Yeah. That's why they're always interested in uh, reimagining or ending. That's why they don't like the notion of make America great yeah. again. You know, build back better, which was the motto of the Biden administration's campaign and first year in office. I don't know if they're going to keep it, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but, you know, it, it's saying nothing different then make America great again, except without the America. Have you noticed that? Build back better implies the same thing of making something good or great again, doesn't it? Yeah, great. It's it's the same exact phrase. It just takes America out. One of the stories of the year, I have to pull pull this up because I I didn't think I'd be talking about that, this. So bear with me while I do it. Um, One of the stories of the year, there are so many, and uh, and – and uh, it's hard to say what will have the most lasting of consequences. But don't think me silly for suggesting that this one I'm about to tell you may have lasting consequences. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's a small thing that says a big thing. And it's, it's, it's the new Superman slogan which took place this year. Oh, yeah. We went oh, from yeah. truth, justice, and the American way to truth, justice, and a better tomorrow. 
right. a better tomorrow, which is nothing so much as progressivism wedded to Bill Clinton's campaign theme song written, of course, by, uh, you know, Don't Stop Thinking About Tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Written by, thank you. <laughs> written by Mick Fleetwood. Right. Yeah. Um, Truth, Justice and a Better Tomorrow. By whose standards, by the way? Right. Whose truth and whose justice and whose better tomorrow? You know, it dawns on me, as it should dawn on everyone, that there still are big cultural differences in this world uh-huh. and that there are still some really big cultures, some even bigger than American and some even bigger than the West and some even perhaps rivaling the size of Christianity um, or Judeo-Christian ethics, if you will, that uh-huh. that have different definitions of what a better tomorrow is. Right. I mean, we are engaging with regimes whose idea of a better tomorrow is no America. Right. So right. when we had truth, justice, and the American way, we kind of knew what we were talking about. The American definitions of truth and justice, which we all as a country used to think were the best definitions of them, right. those are gone. Truth, justice, and a better tomorrow is nihilism. Yes, yes. You don't need That's- a Superman for that. Right. Or, or more worrisome, you have Nietzsche's Superman rather than Americans. Yeah. How do you like that? Salient, very salient point, Seth. Very salient point. Say, I want to finish up something for the year. Please. Uh, I, I want to wish you a happy new year. Thank you. God bless you, and I wish you the very best. And the second thing I want to say is that one of the things I love about you and I love about your program is that we can be very serious about very serious things, and we can also have fun doing it. Oh, you're so right, and I'm glad you pick up on that, Rick. It's such an important element of everything we do. Yes, yes, I'd like to add to that. What's the old line from Mary Poppins? In every job that's to be done, there is an element, element of, of fun. fun. There you yeah. go. There yeah. you go. There you go. All right, brother. Happy New Year to you. Prospero Año. Thank you. God bless God you. bless. We'll be right back. You know, I just wanted to say one more thing, if I could, about ending the year where we're ending it in regard to COVID and the presidency, uh, first-year presidency of the man who again and again said he would shut down the virus and not the country, only to, on Monday of this very week, saying there is no federal role. The states are on their own to do this, uh, which uh, was the main plaintiff's complaint of the Democratic Party in the first place against Donald Trump last year. So they they ended (laughs) the same place they campaigned vigorously against. But when I was talking a couple few segments ago about the advantages Joe Biden and this administration had over the previous administration, you know, a year's worth of experience, the vaccine, they had something else, too, which should say something about this something else. The administrations did have one thing in common. Do you know what it was? Anthony Fauci. They had Anthony Fauci in common. And it's clear, it was clear from his first press conference earlier this year when he started criticizing the previous administration, it was clear where his political preferences were, 
for those who are unclear on it, Joe Biden uh, was his preference. Um, If you think about taking on COVID as the president of the United States, if you think of it as a race or a test, as I as I as I analogized a couple segments ago, that they didn't start taking the same SAT with the same base of knowledge. They didn't start the race at the same starting point. You know, they had, though, the same coach. They did have the same coach. But what was it about that coach, Fauci? Politically, he wanted Donald Trump not to succeed. Clearly. And he also wanted Joe Biden to succeed. Clearly. This was evident from everything he said in his first press conference under the Biden administration. One of the new things in this administration is if you don't know the answer, don't guess. (laughs) Just say you don't know the answer. Yeah. Yeah, good. And then, of course, all his public uh, fights and uh, all his public... um, uh, criticisms of uh, the advisors Donald Trump brought in. So what does it say about a president in Trump whose coach wanted him to fail politically and a coach whose uh, prize student Biden, the coach who wanted Biden to succeed, and the one who he wanted to succeed did worse than the one he wanted to fail? That's actually a pretty interesting set of indicia when you think about it, isn't it? Isn't it? Is it too late to call this a failed presidency? I don't know. The Democrats had no problem calling the Trump presidency failed before he was sworn into office. Let's hope for the country it's not a failed presidency. But it has no inkling that I can tell that it's on the wrong track, which gets us back to C.S. Lewis's definition of what a real progressive is. I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. 